You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Have you ever come up against this sort of thing yourself? Either way, I run up against it all of the time. In counseling, for example, someone comes into the office and I offer them my counsel. I open up the word and I seek to apply it in their particular situation. And these same people often argue with me when I'm trying to do them good, when God is trying to do them good, when we're offering them counsel from God's word. And they're arguing with you about it. The story of Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt is pretty well known, even by those who aren't much interested in the things of God. But that story, as important as it is, often distracts from the story of her husband, Lot. And while his heart might not have been as invested in Sodom as his wife's was, Pastor Mike's teaching today will show that Lot had his problems with a divided heart as well. You'll learn the dangers of trying to have one foot in the world system and one in the kingdom of God. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 19 as he begins his message, Pattern for a Defeated Life. This message, the title is Pattern for a Defeated Life. Now, who do you think I'm thinking about here? Anyone? Quickly. Lot, of course, right. Pattern for a Defeated Life. And boy, let me tell you something. Lot serves up that pattern, unfortunately. So anyway, with that said, let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. Now, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain." Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life, which was absolutely true. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now this city, the city of Zoar, by the way, is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. 
And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And so he overthrew those cities, all of the plain, all of the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we treat this text of Scripture to us. Lord, open it up to us. God, give us understanding. Father, we pray that for our being a part of this service and hearing this message, Lord, it would serve as a warning, Lord, that it would protect us from falling into the same pattern and mistakes and disobedience as did Lot. Lord, just work or work in the hearts and lives of your people. And Lord, just move us closer to you. God, we thank you. And now, Lord, just settle our hearts, help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together this morning as we sit at your feet and learn of you. God, we pray that everyone would feel at home. God, we thank you again. Now, Lord, just work mightily through the study of your word. Father, we pray that the great teacher would be here who is the Holy Spirit and open it up to us. And God, we thank you. Bless each one, minister to each one in a very relative and personal way. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, pattern for a defeated life. Now, of course, this text of Scripture that we've just read is the record of God's judgment falling upon the wicked inhabitants of the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, there were five cities that were located in that plain that God was also going to destroy. Not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but there were five cities in all, all of which were found within that plain. Now it stands, this record that is, it stands as a testimony of how God visits the sinner, how the unrighteous are reserved for the day of judgment, and how that no sin will go on unpunished. But listen, I wanted to address this text from another and different perspective. So our focus is directed upon Lot and his attitude and the things that were in his heart. Then the events surrounding him. And in fact, this may be the more important lessons for us to learn now. I believe that Lot is an example of a worldly, half-hearted Christian. I don't know if there's actually such an animal a being as a half-hearted Christian. I, I, I don't know what category someone who has taken the name of Christ would fall into and at the same time be half-hearted about his relationship with God, uh, sort of like an oxymoron. But this is someone who has a knowledge of God, wants the fellowship with God, wants all of the advantages of being named the child of God, but at the same time, he wants the world as well. He's the kind of a person who confesses Christ, but he's not exactly his. You might say Jesus is not at the helm of his ship. This would be the individual 
who would be asking himself the question, well, why can't I sin just a bit? Why can't I have it both ways? Why can't I be a follower of Jesus Christ and also direct my own life? Why can't I obey God in most things, but disobey him from time to time when I really want to? And listen, gang, let me tell you something. It's been my experience. We've been walking with the Lord now for quite a while. We've been involved in full-time ministry for quite a while. I think that there are some people who claim to have taken the name of Christ who are trying to function on that level. They do not want to repudiate Christ. In fact, they profess their faith in him, but they are not all out for him either. Because there, you see, there are these other things in their lives that takes precedence. They have jobs to think about, having a good time with their friends, getting ahead in life. For those individuals, that's their priorities. You know, but they got things really messed up if you think about it and backwards. Because Jesus simply said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. We just need to keep our priorities straight, the truth be told. So these same people, yes, they expect one day, they'll serve God completely. You know how that goes. We kind of rationalize our relationship with the Lord. And, you know, I mean, uh, I'm 80% there. And uh, listen, I'm still young. And there are things that I still want to accomplish and things I want to experience, things of the world, you know. And uh, for now, God is just going to have to be satisfied with 80% of my life. And I know that when I get older, when I become as old as Pastor Mike, an old man or whatever, then I'm going to be full on for Christ. And I'm going to give him 100% of my life. But you know, unfortunately, with that kind of thinking, and, and this has been my experience in counseling. I don't know how many, there have been many people my age who have come into our office in counseling who have expressed that same sentiment and said, you know, Pastor Mike, for years and years, I felt as if I needed to come around and just fully selling out for the Lord. But you know what? I've actually duped myself into believing that lie. And even now, in the latter part of my life, I still haven't gotten around to being sold out for Christ 100%. And so this is that individual who expect one day They'll serve God completely, but for now, there are these other things. Things to them that are more important. Because right now, I want to be wild and free. I want to be well-liked. I want to be successful. And listen, gang, there is a remarkable example of this kind of an attitude here in our text that's displayed by the character Lot. Notice in verses 18 through 20. Let's go back to our text for a moment. Let me read it for you one more time. Then Lot said to them, that is the angels, who were delivering them out of these twin cities before God was going to judge them because of their sin. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains." lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there, 
Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. So think about what's going on here. This picture that's being painted for us. The angels are dragging Lot and his family out of the city so that they might escape destruction. And he's arguing with his rescuers. Think about that. How crazy is that? But are we surprised? Have you ever come up against this sort of thing yourself? Either way, I run up against it all of the time. In counseling, for example, someone comes into the office and I offer them my counsel. I open up the word and I seek to apply it in their particular situation. And these same people often argue with me when I'm trying to do them good, when God is trying to do them good, when we're offering them counsel from God's word, and they're arguing with you about it. So have you ever been there, or have you ever been on the other end of this, that you're the person who's arguing with God, or arguing with the counsel of God, or the word of God? Listen, Lot's life, the lives of his family, are at stake, are at risk, and he's earnestly arguing with these angels who have been sent by God to deliver him and his family. And notice how he goes about doing this. He bases his plea on the fact that God has already been gracious in delivering him from Sodom. Notice in verse 19. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, which was absolutely correct. In other words, basically what he was suggesting here, God has been good enough to spare my life, well, then he should be good enough to allow me to continue to rule over my life and continue to go on sinning. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Well, I hope not. And then to bolster his case, he suggests he's not physically up to the task of reaching the mountains where they were to escape to. Notice also there in the latter part of verse 19. He says, but I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Listen, he's simply not trusting in God's ability to get him to the mountains. I mean, after all, he sent angels, these heavenly creatures, so that he might escape the judgment. Couldn't he expect and anticipate and rely upon God to get him to the mountains? You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, Israel in the book of Exodus, when things weren't working out exactly the way that they were hoping it would work out. For example, they would come into a certain area and there wouldn't be water or there wasn't food or all they had to eat was manna, manna in the morning, manna in the afternoon, manna in the evening. They, they were sick of manna and they began to complain. They began to murmur against Moses. What would they cry out? You brought us out here to perish in the wilderness. They weren't trusting the Lord to continue to provide. I mean, he provided for them for 40 years as they wandered around in circles there in the wilderness before the second generation actually crossed the Jordan and then entered into the land of Canaan. This is exactly what's going on with Lot. He's not trusting God here. And then Lot argued on the basis of the smallness of the place that he wanted to go to. Notice in verse 20. See now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape. There is it not a little one, and my soul shall live. And as I mentioned before, Zoar was one of five cities that was to fall under the judgment of God. 
Now, why, why was God going to judge Zohar? For the very same reasons that he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, they may have been a littler or a smaller city than was Sodom and Gomorrah, and maybe the sins of the inhabitants of the city of Zohar wasn't as great as was the sin of the inhabitants of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but nevertheless, they were sinners, and the stench and stink of their sin had come up before God, and God was going to judge them, even as he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't want him to stay in Zohar. He didn't want Lot to continue to be influenced by that sin, by the practices of the inhabitants of the city of Zohar. So basically, what is he doing here? He's settling for the littler sin. If you think about it, basically what he's saying is, hey, it's just a little town. It's just a little sin. Let me dwell there. Let me flee to it. goes back to what I was saying about this half-hearted Christian kind of a thing in my opening remarks. Can't we, like, occasionally sin, or can't we every once in a while participate in a little sin kind of a thing? Hey, listen, be careful about those little sins. They have a habit of wiping you out. So the essence of all of this is Lot was insisting on his own way. It was disobedience. And notice also... There in verse 19, he's making a great show of being one of God's servants. But his prayer certainly wasn't, not my will, but yours be done. Now, just in case someone may be thinking at this point, this can't be all that bad. That is, Lot and his family escaping to Zoar. After all, God let Lot flee to that small town of Zoar? Well, if that's what you're thinking, gang, guess what? You're missing the point. You see, one of the reasons why you can't sin a bit is precisely you can sin that bit. You say, what am I talking about? Maybe I've just confused you. Wouldn't it be great if God always prevented us from sin? Okay, here's a temptation. We're being enticed by that temptation. We find ourselves moving and gravitating towards that opportunity to sin. And then all of a sudden, God steps in. Maybe he sends an angel with a sword drawn to prevent it. Wouldn't that be great? That we would never sin ever again. But he doesn't do that. Think about this. When Moses was receiving God's commandments. Let me give you a couple of examples. He's up on Mount Zion. What were God's people, Israel, doing at the bottom or the base of the mountain. What were they doing? They were fashioning an idol, the golden calf. And they begin to worship and dance and all this revelry and stuff. Remember, Moses came down, took the Ten Commandments and threw it, and then they separated them, and the ground opened up and swallowed those fellows who decided that they were going to continue to worship the golden calf. So he didn't intervene, did he? How about David? When God's people Israel were out on the battlefield going up against the Philistines, where do we find David? He's up on the rooftop. And he's looking off into the distance on one of the other rooftops. And he sees this woman who's naked. She's bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. She's summoned for. And David becomes involved in an adulterous uh, relationship with this woman. He impregnates her. And then to cover up his tracks... He sends her husband Uriah up to the front lines against the Philistines where he knew that 
he would be killed in the battle. So his sin led to not only adultery, but it led to the murder of her husband, whose name was Uriah. So what's the point? If we are determined to sin, listen, God's not going to stand in the way. He'll only go as far as not interfering with our free will. He allows us what we are determined to do. But folks, you're going to pay the penalty. You'll pay the consequences. You can be sure of that. Because the soul that sinneth shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You can't get around it. These are laws that govern the universe. Now, what a contrast there is here in this particular section of the book of Genesis between Abraham, the friend of God, being considered by God a friend. What a beautiful way to describe Abraham. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way by which God would describe you and me? Patty, a friend of God, and Patty is a friend of God, and I know that to be true, or Mike, a friend of God, or Nancy, a friend of God. This isn't the person's estimation of himself. This is not someone bragging about himself. This is God's estimation. This is the way that God perceives that individual. And so last week we talked about all of the things that lend itself to our becoming a friend of God. And so what a contrast there is between Abraham and Lot at this point. Abraham is determined to do the will of God, obey God, and he became a giant in the faith. And whenever throughout the scriptures... God recommends someone as a man or a woman who possesses great faith. Abraham is always served up as an example, the father of the faith. That's the way that he's recommended to us in the scripture. And so he became a giant in the faith. That's not the way that he started out. It's been several weeks now we've been considering this man's life. When we're first introduced to him, he's an idol worshiper, living in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans living in the home of his mother and father, who were also idol worshipers. And we've been tracing and tracking God's work in his life and up until this point. All of the failures, but also many of the successes. The lapses of faith. Even as God works in our lives, think about it. And I think therein lies the value of studying Abraham's life, because what God did in Abraham's life, guess what? He's doing in our lives as well. We don't start off as these not like we'll ever get there or become some, the only time we're ever going to become the super Christian is when we stand before Jesus. When we see him, the Bible tells us when we see him as he is, then we shall become like him. But that's not going to happen until the rapture or if we go home to be with the Lord by some natural cause of sickness or whatever. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.